Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. And welcome to Three Creeks again. Uh, my name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. And uh, thank you, my friend. And I just, uh, man, every Sunday morning, I'm telling you, it's, it's just not getting old. I, I figured I'd be over it by now. Five years into planting this thing, and you would think that I would kind of lose my zeal. But I get excited to wake up on Sunday morning and be here with my church family. Uh, I have really been enjoying this series in Ephesians. And from the conversations that I'm having with people, so are you. And I'm thrilled that we just get to kind of keep marching through this book, just a verse at a time. And here we are once again, Sunday morning. So uh, on September 15th, 2013, at Camp Mary Orton, right here in Columbus, Ohio, this is a picture of what I was doing right there. Just babies. I mean, she hasn't changed too much, but I've changed quite a bit. And that was a great day. And I, that was the day that Morgan and I got married about 10 years ago. And it, upon reflection, it is true that I really did not have an idea of what I was getting into. Those of you that are married know what I'm talking about. But, but I'm not really talking about the things that you learn in year one. You know, you find out that some people, they're not okay with clergy clothes being on the floor. Do you guys know what clergy clothes are? They're clothes that they're not clean anymore because you wore them once, but they're not dirty enough to wash. So you can't put them back in the drawer. It might soil the other clean clothes, but so they're clergy. So they just kind of pile up on the chair. And, and apparently not everybody's okay with this. Something I found out in marriage. You find out things like one spouse loads the dishwasher like a Scandinavian architect and another spouse loads it like a drunk raccoon. You know what I'm saying? You just, there's differences. You learn things when you're married. And I'm not talking about those things that you learn, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not sure we knew what the point was. Maybe you've been married for 30 years, and today as I highlight this passage of Ephesians, Ephesians you'll realize, oh, maybe we haven't really understood truly what the point was. Because I think getting married, I thought to myself, well, I'll be happier, I'll be less lonely, we'll have some Bible-approved sex, We'll make some babies, raise them together. We'll have a lifelong friend to just go through it with. I thought that was the point. But friends, those are nice perks, but they're not the main point. Do you know what the Bible says that the main point of marriage is? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to husbands and wives about marriage. And he quotes something that is written in the beginning of Genesis at the the, the beginning of marriage, the first marriage ever, Adam and Eve, he quotes something that is written in Genesis right at the beginning. And it's not, he's not the first person to quote this either. Jesus himself quotes this in a discussion with the Pharisees when Jesus was alive. This is a foundational sentence that has been read at lots of weddings that you've been at. But the roots of it are in the beginning of Genesis and Jesus echoes it and Paul echoes it again. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And now look at this. This is a profound mystery because I'm talking, I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, God designed marriage, initiated it, created it, created it, gave it to us as a gift with the intent of teaching us about himself and making us like himself. It's not as if God made marriage and he thought, oh, now that, now that I think about it, I probably could use this to teach them about me. It's not how it went. God initiated the whole thing to teach us about himself and help us become like himself. For those of you that like things in order, you might be a little discombobulated right now because last week we finished Ephesians chapter 4 right in the middle and I've, I've jumped all the way to the end of Ephesians chapter 5. Maybe you don't care like I do, but, and maybe I'm slightly diseased with OCD, but the, things like that, they throw me off course. Let me, let me explain where we're going today. So we've been through Ephesians 1, 2, 3 in the first half of chapter 4 over the last nine weeks. We've just marched through it verse by verse by verse, and we've come to that point. And now I'm jumping ahead. It's because in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, there are a number of different themes that are recurring. So I've taken the liberty to kind of, you know, combine them into these little Ephesians mini-series, if you will. For example, there's three different verses in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that talk about greed. And they're in all different places. So if we went verse by verse, then in theory, I have to preach about money three times in the next couple months. And I know you love it when I talk about money. But I think even that might be a little bit overkill. So I've, I've combined them. I, I've, I've merged them together. And here's the plan. We, uh, we've spent nine weeks so far in a series that we've called Ephesians, a church built on Christ. For the next two weeks, we're going to be in a series called Ephesians, a home built on Christ. We'll take two weeks We'll do Palm Sunday and Easter. We'll come back into a series called Ephesians, A Life That Honors Christ. We're going to look at six key ways that a relationship with Jesus changes us. And then I really like this one, the last three. Three more weeks in June. It's called Ephesians. Wait real quick before you leave. And it's the last couple passages that we won't have hit on at that point. And then we'll have made our way through the whole book of Ephesians. So forgive me for hopping around a little bit. I'm trying to keep the themes together. So today we're in Ephesians 5, and we're talking about marriage. And I understand that you get to a Sunday morning, and you get in a room this big with this many people, and there's, there's people that are at different spots with this. There are people in here that you would come in and say, I am happily married. And there's some people in here who go, I am unhappily married. There are people in here that go, we are thriving. We are hitting our stride. We're doing great. And there's people in here going, I don't even know if we're going to make it. We're barely hanging on. There's single people in here who have decided that they don't want to be married. And that's it's great. And there are single people in here who are dying to be married. Some of you guys just dying to be married. Isaac got engaged yesterday, dying to be married. Congratulations, by the way. There, there's people in here that used to be married. There's people in here that are married again. And so I say that just to simply highlight that we're all coming in to this conversation from a different point of view. And so 
I hope to preach this just straight from the Bible, and, and no matter where you're sitting at, I think there's something to apply today. I also feel like I should say this, is that I've been married for about 10 years. There have been other times in my marriage where Morgan and I, we're just on the same page, and we are killing it. We're doing great. And in those moments, I would have been tempted to come in here and stand tall and proud and tell you how to have a thriving marriage like I do. And I would have been excited to do that. But in the last two months, I can't say that that's been the case for us. I, it has been on me, not on her. I'm just telling you, Morgan got a part-time job as we turned into the new year. I love control of everything. And when somebody else gets a part-time job, all of a sudden it feels like things are a little bit more out of my control. I don't like change and I've had to change. And sometimes I've taken this, uh, you know, my resistance to change and I've taken out my frustration on her. And so for the last couple of weeks, we're, we're doing fine. We're still on the same page, but, but it's, there's been a number of, uh, we'll call them heated discussions where we're trying to figure this out together. And so I just come in here today, just being honest with you going, I don't know that I'm real, feeling real qualified to talk about this. I can't think of a time I have felt less qualified to talk about this. I come in humbled slash embarrassed a little bit about where, about the husband that I've been for the last two months. And so I'm not coming in with Joel's top 10 tips on how to have a thriving marriage. I'm coming in this morning trying to point all of us, including myself, perhaps the most, to what God says about marriage through the words of Paul to the Ephesians. So I want to read this passage to you and then share three things. There are millions of podcasts that you could listen to about marriage, countless books, unending number of tips that people will give you whether you want them or not on how to have a great marriage. But I'm just going to try to give you three ways that God, through marriage, teaches us about himself and makes us like himself from this passage that Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians about 2,000 years ago. There's three paragraphs. There's a paragraph for wives. Then there's a paragraph for husbands. It's a little bit longer, understandably. And then there's a paragraph for both at the end. So here's the first one. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, here's our part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then four more verses for all of us. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, Here's those verses I read earlier. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
summary verse. However, each one of you must also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So the big idea is that God uses marriage to teach us about himself and make us like himself. And here are three ways that he does that. The first one, in the delights of marriage, we get a taste of the love of God. In the delights of marriage, we just get a taste, just a smidge of the love of God. We're talking about the best days, the good days, the days, the honeymoon days. When you, when you taste the delight of marriage, when you, when you experience the delight of marriage, you get a taste of the love of God. Even if you are not sold on church, don't believe in God, not into religion, you still go to weddings. And chances are, if you really love the person, you're still emotionally moved on a deep level when you see two people getting married. Because whether you believe it or not, In a marriage, we are experiencing a picture of God's love. There's four words in the Bible, in the original language, in the Greek, that are translated into love. The first one is philia, which is a friendship love, which is like, I love you and I'm going to be there for you on a bad day. And then there's storgy love, and this is a familial love. This is like, I love you and I will take you to the airport at 4.30 in the morning. I love you that much. And then there's an eros love. That is like, I love you and I want you. And then there is agape love, which is the unconditional, no strings attached. I know everything about you and I love you. I love you. And in marriage, when you experience the delights of marriage, you get all four of those. You get all of them when things are good. You know what I'm talking about? When you take that trip to Italy and you're eating pizza, drinking whatever you want, you're going, man, marriage rocks. In that moment, you are just getting a glimpse of God's love for you because what makes those great moments special is not the pizza or the fact that you're in Italy. What makes the best moments in marriage so special is that you feel fully known and still fully loved. It's when you're fully known and fully loved. Think about just having one or the other. If you're fully known and you're not loved, that means that you are rejected. And if you are fully loved but you're not known, then that is superficial. It's fake. You wonder if it's even real because they don't know you. Even in our marriages, we're tempted to show our spouse 98%, 99%. But if they found out that one thing, what would they think? Would their love go down? But yet with God, we are fully known and fully loved. And so in the greatest moments of marriage, it's like holding a candle to the sun of God's love. In the delights of marriage, you get to taste just a little bit of God's love for us. Fully known, fully loved. Here's a second one. In the roles of marriage, we get a picture of the creativity of God. In Genesis, we read about God creating the world. Day one, day two, day three, day four. And after all these things that he creates, he goes, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he creates a man and he goes, ah, there's something missing here. Not good. This is not complete. There's something missing. And God does not fix this problem by creating another man. 
because it would be not good, not good, double not good. But instead, he, he creates something that complements the man, that completes the picture, that can showcase his creative brilliance for the rest of time. And he creates the Ezer, the wife. And, and, and when a husband and a wife are together, it paints a picture that, of the creativity of God that them by themselves does not paint. It's a unique picture where they both fit together and it puts the creative brilliance of God on display. In a marriage, men and women have different roles. And that should not make us feel slighted or jaded or competitive, but rather inspire us to celebrate that God is creative like that. This is what Paul writes to the husbands about their role. So for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then in verse 33, a little lower, each one of you husbands must love his wife as he loves himself. Here's my favorite translation that Eugene Peterson makes of that same verse in the original text. It says this, the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Husbands, without a proper understanding of what spiritual leadership looks like, we might be inclined to think that the test of our leadership is is our wife and our children listening to us or obeying us or submitting to us or following us. But that is not the question. That's not the test of true leadership. The test of a husband's spiritual leadership in the home is the, answer, is the answer to this question. Is my wife flourishing underneath my care? Is my wife flourishing? If one of her friends asked her, are you flourishing? Would the answer to that question be yes? I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times where I feel like Morgan. I feel like you would say, yeah. You would talk to your friends and they would ask and you would say, we're, we're, I am, we're doing great. And there are other times where that has not been the case. A husband's role is to lead the wife in many ways by providing for the family, by protecting the family in romance. But most of all, most importantly, spiritually. And this is not to say that a wife has nothing to do with the spiritual vitality of a home. Of course, she has that part to play as well. But if you found a wife in here who says, I want my family to thrive spiritually, you won't find one that doesn't want her husband to be intentional and step up and lead in that way. There are other areas, understandably, and wisely that a wife should say, hey, let's just, that's my domain. Don't touch that part. But when it comes to the spiritual vitality of a home, it's the husband's leadership that dictates the pace. And whether we like that or not, it's what the Bible says is the role of the husband. When it comes to spiritual matters, that's the role that we're called to play. So, so husbands, because we're Christians, Spiritual leadership in the home looks like on Sunday mornings, it looks like us driving the ship. It looks like us getting up first, helping with the kids, getting breakfast, get out the door. On the way to church, we talk about why church matters, why it matters to be with the people of God, why it matters to worship God. It looks like asking questions on the way home. What'd you learn about God today? 
It, it doesn't, we don't, as spiritual leaders, don't pawn off Bible memory verses on mom with the kids. It means that as fathers, as husbands, we step into that space and we lead spiritually in the home. It, it, spiritual leadership looks like us taking our wives on dates. And it looks like us asking them intentional questions like, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? What have you been learning in your time with the Lord? Spiritual leadership looks like setting an example for your family in service, in finding people in need, and not waiting for somebody else to fill the gap, but stepping up and doing it. Spiritual leadership in the home means leading out in generosity, where you give your time and your energy and your money to things that matter forever, to God's work. Spiritual leaders in the home pray with their wives. If you looked at my whole career as a husband, I can't think of one thing that I've done less well than praying with my wife. And it's not for lack of trying. We just haven't hit the stride. But that's what spiritual leaders do. And I, listen, I heard a great quote one time. I think it's true. You probably could finish it. A couple that prays together has a lot of sex together. You knew that one, right? Nothing stokes the fire. No, just kidding. That's what spiritual leaders do. And so husbands, our role is to lead our wives by cherishing them, honoring them, speaking highly of them to others, and allowing them to thrive under our care. And wives, if your husband fulfills that role, that ought, to sh- that ought to blow you away and make you so thankful for the brilliant creativity of God that he would give you a leader that loves you like that. And wives, this is what Paul writes to you. There's three different verses that highlight similar themes. Number, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Once again, I want to read to you what if, uh, Eugene Peterson, how he translated this, because it was really helpful to me. It said, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So, just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. So I saw three words in there that Eugene Peterson highlighted. I saw the word understand, I saw the word support, and I saw the word submit. And I feel like you're probably pretty cool with the first two. But for whatever reason, the third one carries some baggage with it. And before we get into the word understand or support or submit, I want to just lay a disclaimer out there. I was was talking with Morgan about this a little bit this week, and and she said this, and I just think it's so true. It, It would be fair to say that perhaps somebody in here is in a marriage that is not God honoring, and perhaps somebody in here is in a marriage where your husband is being abusive whether it's verbally or physically or emotionally, that could be the case. And if that is the case, you need to hear me clearly say that 
that a lot of what I'm about to share for the next four minutes doesn't apply in the same way to the situation that you are in. And you should also hear me say that our church is eager to step into that with you and to pray with you and to help you and to give you support. I have talked to people who have come to me and said that this is the situation that they're in. And I have said, how long has this been going on? And they'll say, for years. And I'll simply say, oh, well, I won't say it in the moment, but I'm thinking to myself, what took you so long to tell us? This is why we're here. We want to be able to help. So if that's you, just know that we love you and we want to help if we can. If you are not in a marriage where your husband is being abusive, but your husband isn't perfect, which I think is everybody, then this part does apply to you. If you think about this, Paul wrote this to the Ephesian husbands, and they weren't perfect either. And Paul didn't say, agree with your husbands. He said, understand, support, and submit to your husbands. Submission is willfully choosing to follow your husband as he leads you and your family. It's never something that you're forced to do. It's something that you choose to do. This cannot mean that wives in any way are not equal to or less valuable than or less important or inferior to their husbands because if you believe that, then you and I have a fundamental disagreement with Christianity as a whole because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is equal to God the Father in deity, remember this? Jesus is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He is not the second tier. He is equal to God. Yet, Jesus Christ willfully submits to the will of the Father because they're equal in deity and yet distinct in role. Once again, creativity on display. See, in Genesis, when God saw Adam and said, not good, I've got I've to fix this. It's not a complete picture. Creatively, he created something called the Ezer. And in your Bible, it's probably translated as the word helper, but the word azair carries so much more weight than just the word helper. It's almost hard to put into words exactly what it means, but it brings to mind words like ally, teammate, partner, or even hero. God creates the azair to complete the picture because this is not good, but this is good. And so wives, when marriage is done God's way, it's when you thrive in that role as being the Azair, the partner, the ally, the teammate, the hero. I asked the question earlier, the test of a husband's leadership is simply, is your wife flourishing in your home? And wives, the question for you would, would be something like this. Does your husband know that you've got his back? Does your husband know that you believe in him? That you want to understand him? and root for him, and pray for him, and support him. If he went to his friends, and they said, how's your marriage? Would he say something like, I feel supported, encouraged, and lifted up by my wife? That would be the test for you. And when both people, husband and wife, step into their role, and thrive in their role, accept their role, then it puts the creative brilliance of God on display. When there's fighting about this, then that kind of throws the whole thing out because in that scenario, it's not really showing the world, teaching us or helping us become like him. Here's the third one. In the forgiveness required in marriage, we get a glimpse of the grace of God. In the forgiveness that is required in marriage, 
We get a glimpse of the grace of God. Here's two verses that we read earlier. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Have you ever stopped to think about what that really means? It says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. I don't know about you, but when I was single, the only person I thought about was me. I just woke up every day thinking about me. What was I going to do? What was I going to eat? Where was I going to go? And then when I got married, I thought, wow, things have changed. Now I've got two people to think about me. <laughs> that didn't go so good. But, it, it, but it's true. Like, I, I'm not kidding. There are some times where I, when it says husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, like that much. Do you know how much that is? Have you ever started to think about that? I mean, I will stand in front of the mirror and I will flex and I will smile. I will wink at the mirror at times and I will, boom, boom, boom. I'll be like, man, I love myself. I love me some me. I mean, it's true and, and naturally wired. We are just wired to think about us and love ourselves. And, Christ, and, and Paul's writing here, husbands, love your wives like your own bodies, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Have you, have you stopped to think about that? Talking about Christ, what does it mean that he gave himself up for her? He chose not to pay us back for our sin, but rather to forgive us for our sin. Let me say that again. He chose not to pay us back for our sin, but rather to forgive us for our sin. The Bible's pretty clear in a lot of different places that we're all sinners, we've all made mistakes, and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us and offered us the forgiveness of all of our sins. And now, through our marriages, God wants to show us what forgiveness feels like, especially when our spouse wrongs us or doesn't hold up their part of the deal. There's a narrative out there that the problem right now in marriages is husbands. It's their fault. It's their problem. They golf too much. They don't help with the kids. They care too much about the careers. They leave their clothes in the ground. They look at porn. They don't take care of themselves. They're not sensitive or thoughtful or compassionate. So the problem out there with marriages is husbands. If they could just get their act together, everything would be fine. And then there's a competing narrative that it's the wives' fault. The problem is wives. They're just naggy, you know? They're not as tough as they used to be. They don't understand the pressure that the husband feels. They don't want to have sex anymore. They don't take care of themselves. They buy an unbelievable amount of pillows. They spend so much money. The problem is wives. If they could get their act together. If they would know their role. But friends, the Bible is pretty clear that the problem is not husbands. The problem is not wives. The problem is sin. Every husband ever was born a sinner naturally bent to sin. And every wife ever was born a sinner, naturally bent to sin. And the solution is forgiveness, both from God and from one another. 
The problem is sin and the solution is forgive us. When God saw us, when God sees us at the end of a day, he does not say, hey, I noticed 30 sins today. And so tomorrow we're going to see if we can have 30 acts of righteousness so that we can get back on steady ground with one another. It's not how God works. God, through Jesus, offers complete forgiveness. And in a moment, in a moment of repentance, he offers this forgiveness and immediately backs up. It brings us back into right standing with him. And in our marriages, in our marriages, we see our spouses at the worst Sometimes even when we have good intentions, we see our spouses at the worst. I remember early on in my marriage with Morgan, I thought, Morgan, I'm going to make you something real nice for dinner. I said, I know you don't like sushi, but trust me, I'll make you some sushi and you're going to love it. We're going to go eat sushi forever together. And I went to Giant Eagle and bought some non-sushi grade fish. (laughs) And Morgan was throwing up all night. And this was one of my worst moments as a husband. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because countless over and over, I will let you down again. I have let you down so many times. And the solution, the solution to bring unity and to paint this beautiful picture to the world is forgiveness. Here's the summary verse of the whole passage. He kind of wraps it up with one final verse, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It says, husbands, love your wives. And to be clear, that's the agape kind of love. This is the unconditional kind, the lover no matter what, whether she holds up her end of the deal or not. That's the agape kind of love that Paul's writing about. And it says, wives, respect your husbands. Honor him, encourage him, and follow him. And we should say that these are not easy things to do. Perhaps on your spouse's birthday or Christmas or Valentine's Day, these things are just kind of what you have to do. But 365, these are not easy to do. To to wake up in the morning and think about them first. Every one of us, husbands and wives, we, we wake up every day. And without the intervention of God into our minds and in our hearts, the first question that we're asking ourselves very, very naturally is, how can I make this a great day for me? How can I make this a great day for me? What do I have to do? What am I going to eat? When am I going to get a break? How can I make this a great day for me? That's what we all kind of wake up thinking. It's the first question that comes to mind. Here's an idea and something I think Paul is asking us to shoot for with this verse. What would our marriages look like if we woke up and both spouses, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, what if we woke up and asked a different question? What if we asked, how can I make today great for them? What do they have going on today that I can help with? What are they going to eat? When can I get them a break How can I make today great for them? And if you say, well, my spouse would never do that. Here's the truth. We are not supposed to treat our spouses like they treat us. We're supposed to treat our spouses like Jesus treats us. And if you say, well, my spouse, what if I do that? And they don't ask, they just keep asking about themselves too. 
What if I wake up seeking to serve, seeking to help, looking the other way, looking at the other person? What if they don't? You guys, we don't treat our spouses the way that they treat us. We treat our spouses the way that Jesus treats us. And, and chances are, my, my prediction would be that if you tried it, your spouse might follow. That if you woke up and said, I'm going I'm to think, how can I make today great for them? That you might be surprised at the snowball effect that comes your way. What if we had marriages like that? Husbands, if we woke up and thought, how can I love her today? What would make her feel valuable and cherished and honored? What can I do to help wives? What would our marriages be like if we woke up and thought, how can I respect him and encourage him and honor him and lift him up today? It would be incredible if we woke up and asked that question instead. Because here's what I'll close with. Jesus Christ woke up on a Thursday He was staying the night in a place called Bethany, and that day he was going to trek into Jerusalem and have dinner with 12 of his close friends. And one of his close friends, he already knew this was going to happen, was going to betray him. And that night, Jesus was going to be arrested, and then they were going to falsely accuse him in the middle of the night, and then the next day they were going to crucify him. Jesus woke up from sleeping on a Thursday. And friends, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wake up on Thursday and think, How can I make a great weekend for me? How can I make sure this is a great day for Jesus? No, instead, Jesus woke up that day and thought, how can I make this a great weekend for them? For all these people that need their sins forgiven, how can I make this a great weekend for them? And he went to Jerusalem and had dinner with his friends and was betrayed by one of his closest friends and went to the cross because he didn't wake up thinking about himself. He woke up thinking about somebody else on how to love and how to serve and how to lay his life down for all these people. God uses marriage to teach us about himself and highlight his love and his creativity and his grace. And I hope that in your marriage in the delights, in the roles, and in the forgiveness required that you can learn about God and become like him. I I don't want to rush out of here. Austin's just going to play for a minute. I don't want to rush out of here. I know that, like I said earlier, we're all on kind of different spots coming into this, right? Some of us are happily married, unhappily married, wish you were married, wish you weren't married, single. You know, there's a lot of people in different spots. But in some ways, everybody has a marriage to pray for whether it's your marriage or a marriage of somebody that's close to you, a marriage that you want to have, a marriage of some friends and a marriage of your parents. We've all got a marriage to pray for. And I don't pretend to know. Listen, there's some people in here, you just heard this and you go, man, sounds great, but I don't know. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of walls that have built up and I'm just not sure if this is possible for me. And I just want to honestly say to you that I don't know how long it will take. I don't know all the steps to that journey back to getting the marriage that you dreamed of. But I do know that the first step is always asking God for help. The first step is always asking God for help. And so before we rush out of here, Let's just take two, three, four minutes to pray for a marriage that matters to you. 
whether it's yours or someone close to you. Just pray for a marriage that matters to you. The prayer team's gonna be in the back. Maybe, listen, maybe you're just a wife or a husband and you wanna go and you wanna pray by yourself because the issue is with you. You've been waking up thinking about you and you wanna pray and go ask that God would help you see things from a different perspective. Maybe as a husband and a wife together, you might go back there and you might ask for prayer for your marriage. Husbands, here's an opportunity to lead spiritually and say, hey, let's go be prayed for. Because the first step is always ask God for help. Let me pray for us. Father, for the marriages that are in this room, for the marriages that are close to our hearts that aren't in this room right now, for the upcoming marriages, for the marriages that are on the rocks, for the marriages that are thriving, we praise you that you created it and gave it to us to show us more about you. God, in our marriages, we're able to see that you love us more than we thought, that you're creative, that you're brilliant in how you made this work together, and that you forgive us over and over and over. Father, thank you for sending your son and thank you that Jesus was willing to submit to you willingly and that Jesus woke up and didn't think how can I make this a great weekend for me but rather he thought how can I make this a great weekend for everybody else Father for the marriage in here that's not going great I pray God that you by the power of your Holy Spirit would begin to to work in the hearts of this husband and this wife. I pray, Father, for the supernatural ability for each person who's married to be able to look at themselves rather than to point fingers at their spouse, that they would be humble enough to self-reflect and consider what part of it is theirs to own. And that together, through humility, they could begin to reconcile and get back on the path to the marriage that they wanted to have. I pray today could be a watershed moment for somebody in here. I pray for the single people down here in front. I pray, Father, that as they look for a spouse, if they are, they would help them to be wise in choosing their lifelong teammate, that you would give them wisdom, and that even as they begin searching, that they wouldn't be thinking so much about what they need, but rather, Father, would you build them in character to make them the husband or the wife that the other person will eventually need. Father, thank you for giving us marriage, and I pray that we wouldn't just think the point is to have a friend or to have some fun, but rather, God, that we would see our marriages as a way to show the world that you love us, that you're creative, and that you forgive us. And through our marriages, Father, let us taste it, let us see it. Give us a glimpse of who you are through our marriages. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.